Well, I can't believe that. There's no noise, there's no hot spot. The batsman's not going to review that. I, I just can't believe that. It's just a sh staggering decision to show that the technology has shown clearly there was enough evidence to overturn a mistake. There was no hot spot, there was no noise, so you just expect that to give it not out. Good morning, and welcome to episode 259 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. I am Ben Lindbergh, joined by Sam Miller, and some congratulations are in order, I guess. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah, everybody's got a dream. Yeah. My dream My dream was pretty modest. <laughs> yeah, you just wanted A-Rod to make a plate appearance or or be in a box score for some reason, be, be announced uh, at some point this season, and it happened. So I'm happy for you. Somebody suggested that the best the best outcome to this would be if if A Rod plays, but he actually is like uh, you know he's worth four wins from this point yes, forward, and, yes, and I, be, I lose. Yes. Yeah, because it does sound like, uh, according to Michael Weiner, that that his appeal may not may not be done until after the season. So his suspension, if if there's one, will not start until next season. And yeah, in that case, uh, there is the potential that he'll be. He'll be big down the stretch. And he'll, oh God! He'll regret I've this. Got, yeah, it's possible. I've got a big, big lead on you. Oh yeah, I do. Oh yeah, it's it's significant, Ben. Mm, I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> well, that was the first thing I did because I was flying back to New York, uh, and I took off before first pitch in that game. And as soon as the plane touched down, before you're supposed to turn on your cell phones, uh, I turned on my cell phone. And opened it bat to see if Arod had played. I was in suspense the whole the whole flight. And that's why the plane crashed into a building. <laughs> yes. Because they were just they were just taxiing along <laughs> on the runway, and all of a sudden the signals went crazy and just <laughs> right into a building. Blame Arod. It's all his fault as usual. Uh, okay, what else do we want to talk about today? I want to talk about the. Uh, uh, Ruben Amaro's off-season trifecta. Okay. Um, I wanted to talk about Peralta and Cruz a little bit, but first I wanted to mention something from the wonderful world of cricket. Should I do that now? Sure. Okay. Uh, so I don't know how I came across this story, but it's... Uh, a fun story, like every cricket story that we've come across during the course of the show. Um, so cricket has uh, basically what people want baseball to have when it comes to umpire decisions. Uh, there is there is a replay review system, and it's very sophisticated, and it uses the latest technology. Um, it uses Hawkeye, which is what tennis uses to tell if a ball was in or out uh it's i mean it's kind of like pitch effects and then it uses hotspot which uh do you remember hotspot from baseball from from fox i guess it was is it still it's not still around is it it was briefly um Re remind me it, it was in the playoffs like last season i think and i don't know if it's been around this season but it it's that thing where on a replay uh it oh yeah, shows it whether shows the ball hit the hit bat because it shows the heat of where the ball hit yeah. something. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they use that in cricket to tell whether whether the ball hit a bat or hit a pad. Um, and then they apparently used to use, but no longer use, something called the snickometer, 
which uh, was a, a microphone system which was supposed to detect the sounds that the ball hit, or the sounds as the ball hit the bat or the pad, which would then confirm the, the hot spot reading of whether it hit that thing or not. Um, so it has this uh, sophisticated uh, system set up, and there's a, a challenge system. I think each team is allowed two challenges uh, unless one is upheld, and then it doesn't count. So uh, there is there is a a new controversy um, because there was a a match. Uh, I guess it was between India and Australia. Uh, I'm, I'm, I struggle to understand the details of any story involving cricket. Uh, and there is a a third. There's a there's a third umpire who watches a TV feed that has Hawkeye and has Hotspot and watches the replays, which is similar to what people have suggested for baseball to make it more acceptable to the umpires union is you just make new umpires uh, and they'd be watching TV and they'd have access to all this technology and the on-field umpires would be able to to appeal to them and, and they would be able to pass on their decision. So um, there was a controversial decision in this match uh, and it seemed to suggest, uh, Hotspot suggested that there had been no contact or something, um, which was which was the opposite of what the on-field umpires had ruled. And the TV umpire still seemed to blow the call, or at least that has been the the general reaction that he, that he blew the call. Uh, Australia's prime minister tweeted that that was one of the worst cricket umpiring decisions he had ever seen. Um, and apparently this this system is has worked fairly well, and, and those of you who listen to cricket can write in and tell us, but uh, but it's worked fairly well, but there have still been these these moments of controversy controversy where it seems like uh, the technology is working, but somehow the call is still wrong. Uh, and so there's been, there's been some some suggestion that maybe umpires are the the TV umpires are less inclined to overrule because they don't want to show up the on-field umpires or they just don't want to go against their decision, um, and so there are still these controversies. So uh, it 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 strikes me just because of baseball's similarity to cricket and the similarity of the system to some of the systems that have been proposed for baseball that. That even putting every piece of technology into play and having another umpire in the booth watching them somehow uh, doesn't doesn't eradicate the problems. And I guess we we sort of saw that on that that Angel Hernandez replay review where uh, it seemed to be blown after the umpires watched the replay. Um, so never never going to be perfect, I guess. Uh, but it it does still seem like an improvement. I don't know. Cricket fans who listen can tell us whether cricket is is better for this new system or not. But uh, it does seem that we will never be completely without umpiring controversies, even when pitch FX is used to determine balls and strikes and replay is applied to every play and uh, all the technology is is used. Well, congratulations on introducing a, a pretty worthless straw man argument for everybody to to use against technology <laughs> yeah, and replay. Right. Yes. Excellent. Excellent job, Ben. <laughs> you will be quoted in at least one column, one hot take. Yes. 
it will never be perfect. Therefore, why why bother improve it? Why strive? Why exactly. try? Yeah. Uh, I wonder if the umpire uh, in the booth, if that's considered like the, the good day of the week for him, like he doesn't have to dress up. Uh-huh. I don't and, know whether. You know, yeah, I don't know whether. He can bring his own lunch. <laughs> right. I don't know whether it's a rotating system or whether there's always the same uh, guy. See, when cricket, cricket, descriptions of cricket plays never make any sense to me. So uh, this player was adjudged by umpire Tony Hill to have edged spinner Graham Swan to wicketkeeper Matt Pryor for one after a vigorous appeal. <laughs> that was a wicked googly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know what that sentence means, but apparently it was a terrible call. Uh, okay, so baseball stuff. Uh, okay, hang on one second. Okay. I'm plugging in because I'm out of battery again. Uh-huh. Um, baseball stuff. Before we do baseball stuff, I want to do two, <laughs> I want to do a quick re- uh, 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 update as well. Uh, thanks to everybody who alerted me to Ricky Weeks batting against Sergio Romo last night. Uh-huh. It is very nice to have that uh, that alert set up without even trying. Uh, I appreciate all of your tweets. And so Ricky Weeks hit against Sergio Romo in the ninth inning. One of the interesting things is that Rome, uh, Weeks was put into the game late, we should, not specifically. We should, we should mention why we're talking about this for the benefit oh, of people uh, who missed that one episode. Yeah, Ricky Weeks was 0 for 6 with 6 strikeouts and had never fouled a, a pitch off against Sergio Romo in that time. Uh, virtually had seen nothing but sliders and swung at all of them and never come close to making contact. It was, you know, probably the most impressive uh, hitter on, pitcher on hitter dominance that I'd ever seen, hysterically so. Um, so, yeah, Weeks was inserted into the game in the seventh inning, even though, you know, probably pretty good chance that he was going to have to face Romo. So clearly Ron Rennick, he wasn't too concerned about the matchup. And Romo threw him fastballs, interestingly enough, two of them. Uh, first one was a ball. The second one, Weeks put pretty good swing on and uh, didn't hit it squarely, so he flied out to left. So he's now over seven, mm-hmm. but he has made contact. And uh, hmm. that's disappointing. Yeah. It is interesting that over seven in this case seems less <laughs> dominant than over six. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, we'll we'll keep watching today. I wondered whether we should revisit the the Would you rather have Montero or Pineda? debate that we had in the in light of Montero being suspended and Pineda having a shoulder setback. Well, we should, but, but not today. <laughs> okay. <laughs> not when those so, things are timely. We'll do it later. Well, somebody email, somebody email us that question and then we'll get to it tomorrow. <laughs> okay. That's somebody a good, send a quick good solution. Email. Okay. Uh, all, right. all right. You want to do your topic? Sure. Um, I just wanted to... I wanted to talk about the three guys that Ruben Amaro signed this offseason that drew some scorn Mm, uh, around the internet and uh, look at how they've done or how those signings have gone and whether we judge him for them. So, Mm -hmm. um, of course, I'm talking about Delman Young and Michael Young and Uni Betancourt. Mm -hmm. Uh, Betancourt, uh, mercifully, I guess, or whatever, was released in spring training, and so he is not a Philly. He is a brewer. And he is a brewer who plays every day and is having the worst year of his career uh, offensively and probably overall. 
Uh, he is uh, out of 1,069 ball players this year. He ranks 1,068th mm. in warp, and he is just two hundredths of a run uh, ahead of Jeff Kepinger. So this is not going to take long, I don't think. Um, and he's just exactly what you would think Unieski Betancourt would be, except maybe a little bit worse. But I guess Amaro doesn't have to take credit for that because even though he signed him, he let him go. So uh, that's one guy. Uh, one guy is Delman Young, who uh, I wrote the transaction analysis when he signed Delman Young for a pretty low, uh, for a pretty uh, low compensation, um, and I noted that you know Delman Young is. Uh, there's there's no reason that they have to play him if he's bad. He's signed for cheap enough, and if Don Brown breaks out, then that'll be great because then Young won't have to play, um, and you know they can just cut the cord really easily. And so Don Brown did break out, and yet Delman Young has still found lots of at-bats. He is uh, also below replacement level. He is now starting to get uh, lots of... Yeah, uh, plate appearance-based milestones, so he's now getting uh, paid more based on the incentives in his contract. And of the 1,069 players in baseball, he ranks 791st in warp. Um, Weren't some of the incentives in his contract weight-based? Um, yeah, I don't know. That sounds familiar. Yeah. Probably. I think he had some number of weigh-ins throughout the season. That he had to had to meet some some number. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, uh, the last paragraph of the transaction analysis was a lot of times we say we can't judge a move until we see how the players play, but in this case, it's less about how Young plays and more about how the organization reacts to his nearly but not quite inevitable failure. Because there's no reason this move has to cost them anything more than seven hundred fifty thousand dollars a pittance until they let it. Um, and I think arguably it has cost them more than that. I mean, literally it has cost them more than that. But I, I would say that arguably, uh, you know, he's by this point, well, we'll, we'll talk later. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then finally, Michael Young, who um, uh, is, I guess Michael Young, probably the impression is that he's having a, a, a little bit of a better year. He's been, a, you know, about a league average hitter. He's played terrible defense and of the... 1,069 players. Uh, he ranks 993rd in warp. So he's actually been worse than Delman Young thanks mm-hmm. to his his injury. I mean, it's not his injuries, his defense. Um, however, uh, you know, Michael Young, it's always hard to know exactly where his value stops. He might be he might be having, you know, for all we know, he's been a great guy in the clubhouse and he's going to help Delman Young turn things around and mm-hmm. it'll all pay off. Um, he was not traded at the trade deadline, but he might have been. Um, and so, yeah, so those are the three guys. So it, it, Normally I'd say because, I mean, a big part of their negative warp is their fielding. Uh, yeah. And we're, usually I would say we're, we're less confident in the fielding numbers and their hitting hasn't been so bad. Um, but given that it's these guys uh, yeah. and we have – large samples of, of fielding stats that tell us that they're very bad at fielding. Uh, I, I guess I'm not quite so concerned about that. Yeah, we, uh, Baseball Reference has Michael Young at, at uh, 17 runs below average mm-hmm. at third base, 
um, <laughs> which probably pretty close to the record already, right? I mean, it's yeah. there's, third base is not responsible for that much territory. Yeah, I would. <laughs> I don't know about the record, but I would guess that 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 would lead or come pretty close to leading uh, in the negatives most years. So, um, you know, I I like I like these these examples because a lot of times baseball is unpredictable and then we assign the uh, credit to a move to the GM even though you know you couldn't have really predicted one way or the other um, and in this case I would say that all three of these were exceedingly predictable this mm. these are almost I guess Michael Young is probably hitting a little bit better than maybe one would have predicted and so you might give Amaro credit for that um, and again you know we don't know what his total value is because of the whole character stuff but i mean basically everybody's doing exactly what they should have been doing and so um you know the phillies are having a poor year and uh you know the, the roots of that problem go deeper than these two players plus unieski Betancourt, who's not even there um but i don't know it feels like a pretty damning indictment of amaro that that in fact uh all three of these players well at least I don't know. I don't. I don't really know whether I should lump Betancourt into this. I kind of right. just because of how like I just never stop talking. <laughs> I, I never quit enjoying looking at Unieski Betancourt's. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is this is his seventh consecutive year below replacement level. Mm-hmm. He's he's a win and a half below replacement level, and he just keeps getting chances. It's one of the sort of most enjoyable parts of baseball to me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I. He was certainly uh, a punchline, just like those other two guys. I guess I I, I might give a par, Amaro a partial pass for him, just be, because he was a spring training guy and because he he tore it up in spring training. He was great in spring training for the Phillies. He hit 447 and slugged almost 600, and they still didn't give him a job. So uh, maybe they never intended to give him a job unless the entire roster was injured or something. So it... I mean, I I blame the Brewers more than than the Phillies. Yes, um, that's true for that move. But uh, but yeah, the other moves. Uh, gosh, I don't know. We we talked about Delman Young and whether he'd be out of baseball by the time he was what thirty or something or before, um, mm-hmm. and seemed like it was a pretty realistic possibility. Uh, and yeah, I mean, he's he's been he's been who we thought he was um so so yes and and worse than that he has continued to play despite being who we thought he was the amazing thing about Betancourt too is that he hasn't even started a game at shortstop you can sort of understand like this desperate the how GMs can get in this desperate place where they need a shortstop and you know you can't you could throw, theoretically throw anybody out there, but you really can't. I mean, there's only a handful of guys in the world capable of playing shortstop. And he, so you could sort of understand why teams were, were, were uh, you know, suckered into him. But he had he started one game at shortstop last year. He has started no games at shortstop this year. He has started one game at second base. He's primarily played first base, Unieski Betancourt, <laughs> yeah. w- with his 604 OPS. And his 676 career OPS has primarily played first base yes. for a major league baseball team this year. <laughs> it's I just I I 
I can't even imagine. It's a beautiful thing. Baseball is the most beautiful thing in the world, man. Yeah, uh, and I actually the, and these guys are so smart. That's the thing is <laughs> you know? they're so smart. Their front office is so smart. Like they could teach us everything, and yet here it is. I wrote something uh, about halfway through April when when Betancourt was really hitting. Uh, and Ron Renicki said that he was like a, a new player. He said he's more patient than he was before. He sees the off-speed stuff better. He looks like a good offensive player. Uh, and then he said, I don't want to say he wasn't a good offensive player two years ago, um, which he, he wasn't. But uh, So I, I looked at that, and at the time, the, the stats actually, actually backed up what he was saying, that Betancourt was somehow a, a different player. He... He was swinging less, and he was swinging less at pitches out of the zone. And this was something that that was true uh, last year too. Like he, he was over a, f- a fairly large sample. He was he was chasing less, uh, and obviously since then he hasn't hit at all. I don't know whether whether he's um, whether he's been less selective or just slumped anyway. Uh, fortunately, I published that late on a Friday night, and I loaded it up with lots of caveats about how it <laughs> would probably look silly later in the season. Uh, so hopefully, it won't come back to haunt me too much. Um, but but yeah, uh, I don't know. We we spent the winter making fun of certain moves uh, collectively. The internet we made fun of, say, the Brandon League signing. Uh, and that has turned out to be bad. We made a, made fun of these Phillies ones. That's turned out to be bad. We also made fun of some Diamondbacks ones, I guess, that have, have not turned out to be bad. Um, but, yeah, it does still seem like there are times, as, as smart as front offices are, uh, as more qualified to talk about baseball and analyze baseball than people in them are, than, than most of us are, does seem like there's still some times when when things that don't make a lot of sense happen and mm-hmm. um and there doesn't really turn out to be more to the story it doesn't seem like they're just just kind of bad yeah kevin correa scared us for a while too yes, right he did because but... that was the <laughs> yes that was the one con- i mean that was really a consensus bad move and he had like that incredible start yeah. and it was going to be really embarrassing when he was an all-star. Yeah. <laughs> and he, okay. he hasn't been. He's been awful. Pretty bad, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, incidentally, the, uh, the the record for runs below average at third base is safe. It is Ryan Braun, and it is 32, uh-huh. uh, according to uh, to defensive runs saved. Yeah. And then you, you also have Gary Sheffield at 32. Mm-hmm. So Michael Young could do it, but it's very unlikely. Well, maybe it's time for him to to move to the outfield more, mm-hmm. and then he can be he can be the new Delman Young. Um, yeah, and there was that report that that Brian Cashman tried to trade for Michael Young at the last minute before the deadline and pick up his salary and throw some some prospect Phillies way, and they wouldn't wouldn't do that. The Phillies wouldn't do it. Yeah. So. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, no, I don't know. Uh, yeah. Okay. Do we have anything more to say about that, or we'll just we're just gonna bash no, it no. and we're done? We're done. Okay. Uh, so I remember last season. I think we did a topic about whether the Giants should bring back Melky Cabrera. Right? We talked about that. 
whether they should let him play in the postseason after his suspension was over. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, And I feel like we... Did we disagree about that? Maybe we came close to disagreeing for once. I don't really remember. But uh, obviously that that didn't happen. They didn't play him. The Giants did okay without him. We should look that episode up and just play it right now. (laughs) Yeah. um, Play the whole thing. (laughs) I'll use the whole thing as the intro sound to this episode. (laughs) Um, And uh, so now we're facing a similar situation here with Johnny Peralta and the Tigers and Nelson Cruz and the Rangers. Uh, whose suspensions will be up just about as the season ends, and they will be eligible to play in the postseason if if uh, if their teams want them to, and if their teams make the playoffs. Um, so there are lots of issues surrounding these two suspensions. I guess the the first thing I wonder is, um, well, I don't know. Do you do you make any kind of character judgment whatsoever about their decisions to accept these suspensions and not appeal. Uh, I don't know whether this would have been true for them, but as we said, supposedly A-Rod suspension won't be resolved or his appeal won't be resolved until after the season. Maybe that would have been the case with Peralta and Cruz if they had appealed. I don't know. It's a different different case, uh, smaller suspension. But let's say that that had perhaps been the case. Um, do you do you make any any judgment whatsoever about uh, I don't know moral character or their their motivations in not appealing when their teams are uh, in pennant races or on the way to the playoffs? You know I I don't know it's 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 I've been kind of thinking about the philosophy behind it and I think I kind of do I don't think it's a I don't think it's a huge thing. And if they can be back for the postseason and if they actually would play in the postseason, I don't know. It might be that Melky has set a precedent and now no team is going to, uh, you know, to to kind of break that precedent. But, um, you know, if they if the timing works out where they are back just in time for the postseason, especially for Peralta, um, where, you know, probably, you know, probably the Tigers chances of winning the division aren't changed that much Mm -hmm. and. Um, you know they are they they can start really looking for the postseason. Then it makes sense. I mean, you you want to be there for the postseason if you have a choice. But it does feel like you have some obligation to the team that signed you. I mean, obviously, it's one some team is not going to get fifty days of Nelson Cruz, and it does seem kind of more ethical if you have the choice of putting that burden on the team that signs you with eyes wide open, knowing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, the team that um, that didn't. On the other hand, I also kind of do believe that these suspensions are intended to penalize the team as well as the player. I think that the team should be penalized. I, I don't think that the teams are, uh, you know, even if they take all the precautions and even if they, you know, are really diligent about it and take a strong stance about it, I think that um, you need to have this incentive in place for teams to continue to be diligent and so i i like the idea that teams are being punished as well um this is one reason i don't think that they should get to keep the salary is that the, the team should get to keep the salary because i think the team should be punished mm-hmm. um for having players who cheated especially because you know if you actually believe that their performance performances were enhanced then the team has already banked value um so you you know you create some really weird incentives if the team is gets to kind of 
take credit for the players cheating and never have to in any way suffer for it. So, um, so in that case, I, you know, I generally would, would prefer that these suspensions take place immediately, mm-hmm. um, regardless, and that the appeals process be as quick as possible so that you can really tie the punishment to the current team. Um, so I guess that's not really Nelson Cruz's, um, you know, moral jurisdiction, mm-hmm. but it, I'm, I'm glad, I guess, that that's happening. Um, with Cruz, I don't know. I mean, it, it's been, with Cruz and Peralta, it's been painted as that they're going to make less money as free agents mm-hmm. because of this if they have the suspension looming over them right. and that they would be perhaps uh, suspended during a, a season in which they're being paid more than they are now mm-hmm. because they'll be you know free agents and will have bigger contracts. And if that's, I mean, that's the way it's framed. I don't know if that's the truth, mm-hmm. but if it's the way it's framed, I find it somewhat, you know, I, I understandable, but I, I, you know, it's, it seems a bit cheap. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, we're talking about it, you know, not that much of a difference of money. And these guys are extremely rich. And, you know, I, I guess they don't have an obligation for being, you know, by being rich, they don't have an obligation to, to give up a few extra hundred thousand dollars just because it makes us happy. But, you know, it does seem a little bit, you know, uh, penny pinching. Yeah. Um, I think it, it seems to me that it would be more, uh, desirable for them to just get it out of the way if possible. And furthermore, um, I'm not sure that it would actually cost them all that much money in the long run. I mean, if you're talking about signing as a free agent, a team, uh, you know, would probably, I bet a lot of teams would love to sign free agents to prorated deals that don't include the first 50 games of the season. Mm-hmm. Those those games aren't as valuable as the potentially the last 5, 12, 19, 19 or 20 that take place in October. So if you get a higher proportion of the guy's performance is in October, um, he's actually leveraged better and worth a little bit more. So I don't know. I, I mean, if you're talking about removing 50 days of pay i'm not sure that they take a huge hit it seems sort of like a missed pr opportunity for them Uh, like if i were in their situation and uh and nelson cruz has made 20 million dollars in his career and peralta's made almost 30 um it seems like it would have been an opportunity to to try to i mean you know once you're once you once you get this suspension and you have biogenesis attached to your name, it's not going to go away. But maybe, mm-hmm. but maybe if you uh, if you try to make some sort of penitent gesture, or or whether or not it's about that, say it's about that, and say, uh, you know, I'm I'm going to make mo- less money as a result of this, but I I have enough money and I just want to help my team and. Um, and you know, spin it as you're you're punishing yourself or you're you're taking your lumps or whatever in your your financial area because you care more about helping the team and all that. You know, maybe I don't know. Maybe that goes part of the way towards towards repairing your reputation, at least in comparison to the other guys who got these suspensions. So the, you're saying the penitent thing would be to to appeal and yeah, and to say uh, I care more about being a good teammate than I do about what I make as a free agent. Uh, uh-huh. And, you know, just to, to take that angle um, seems like something I would, I would want to do. Um, 
And uh, so then there's also been discussion about but you could you could I mean if you if we were talking about how you're sort of spinning it, mm-hmm. it seems like you could make I mean to me it seems like the thing that generally would play better is to say, yeah I cheated I'm going to take my punishment I'm not going to appeal appealing appealing is mm-hmm. is a way of proclaiming one's innocence yes and you're right not giving a full throated apology I mean the best thing to do usually in most scandals. If you want to have people move on, is to come out and say that I screwed up badly. I'm not even gonna. I'm not even gonna try to defend myself. I'm. I'm really sorry, and I'll take the punishment without, without protest. So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, that's kind of maybe what I would like about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that that makes sense too. And then so the so the other uh, consideration is that is whether whether they are resignable. By their current teams, um, there's there's been some some reports that uh, neither team is particularly interested. It sounds like in bringing these guys back. Uh, of course, they don't have to make any kind of decision now. Um, but does this does this appeal uh, or should this appeal or non-appeal uh, the acceptance of the suspension? Should this make the Rangers and Tigers? Uh, rule out bringing them back because they have made this this uh, seemingly selfish decision at the at the expense of the teams well it seems like the rangers really have put it to him in the terms that it is a selfish decision and if he goes ahead and makes it which he then went ahead and did mm-hmm. it would be an act of selfishness i mean it, it it sounds based on the reports that the rangers made it pretty clear that they wanted him to take a certain course of action and that an alternate course of action would be seen as being against his employer, right? Mm-hmm. If, assuming that I'm picking up the reports correctly and that the reports are true, it feels like, you know, he he made his choice and that maybe they were using that that as leverage, maybe they were using right. that threat as leverage, but one way or another, it feels like you have a severed relationship at this point, mm-hmm. right? Uh, Although yeah. maybe, it, presumably, I mean, you know, possibly if he comes back in the postseason, um, and particularly if he comes back in the postseason and catches a fly ball over his head late in Game 6, uh, then maybe everything will be forgiven, and that those will just be words. Mm-hmm. Um, I, don't, I don't know. I haven't heard as much about the Tigers and Peralta. Uh, yeah, there was just a... Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, Dombrowski was, was kind of vague about whether he would come back, and... Uh, Danny Nobler tweeted something about how he has the sense that if Iglesias does okay in Peralta's absence, they won't want Peralta back, um, which I guess might be the case regardless. I don't know. If they think that, that Iglesias is cheap and, and can do the job, then maybe they wouldn't, wouldn't need Peralta anyway. Um, and I, I guess what we, what we talked about last year— uh, was whether it made sense for the Giants to bring Melky back based on the fact that he seemed to be much better than the alternative, um, but that he also would be very rusty, and we weren't really sure, at least I wasn't really sure, whether he would be able to come back from a 50-game break without being able to play rehab <laughs> games and just immediately be good again. Um mm-hmm. Which I guess is something that is is I still wonder about that, uh, and it it seems like with with Cruz especially there's a 
a fairly large drop-off from him to the Rangers' replacements for him. Um, and there, there could be a, a large drop-off to Iglesias, although maybe not quite so large. Uh, so they, I think that they get... I think one difference is that Cabrera was going to be ineligible through basically until like the last game of the division series or something like that. Yeah. Right. If I'm not mistaken, if if I'm reading this correctly, they're suspended for 50 games. Yes. Yes. So that would give Peralta, for instance, three games mm-hmm. at the end of the season before the postseason starts. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's. I think that that's significant for one reason because yes, it's you get three games of of game game action to, to get back into shape mm-hmm. the other thing is it it does feel slightly psychologically different to have a guy who is suspended in the middle of the season even if it's even if it's very late but who does come back in the middle of the season versus Melky who is going to be you know coming straight from jail like right like <laughs> right. like it was going to be like like uh you know Willis Reed limping down into the sands except he was going to be wearing like uh you know <laughs> orange his jumpsuit, j- his yeah. jumpsuit exactly <laughs> And so this is slightly different, I think, psychologically and as far as the optics. And um, I don't know. It'll be – my guess is that, is that it would play, that, that basically they, the Tigers wouldn't suffer any, you know, real hit from this. And mm-hmm. that, you know, probably – you know, they it certainly – I don't know. I mean, I'm, I, I, I'm, it's now coming back to me that I was the pro Melky guy and I think you were the – the the anti milky guy based on the yeah. questions about his performance right I think and so. so maybe we're maybe we're just gonna re, uh, reprise those roles but uh, yeah I, I would expect the teams to to want them and to benefit from them and we we talked about the clubhouse issues too and whether there would be any whether whether players oh, would well sorry it looks like Cruz's season a Cruz uh, suspension I believe goes through the last game uh huh okay. So, but not not beyond. So he would not get three games to play. Uh huh. Um, okay. Yeah. And we right. We talked about whether whether their teammates would welcome them back because the thing that they care about most is winning and getting World Series shares and playing in the postseason and playing well in the postseason, or whether they would uh, resent the suspension. Uh, maybe even more so in this case because there was possibly the option to avoid it or push it back. Um, and whether that would then cause some sort of internal strife that would, uh, not, not make it worth it. And I don't know, we, we can't really say anything conclusive about that, not being baseball players who've been in this situation. Um, but it's, it's a consideration, I guess, that if it, that it, that could be a tiebreaker if you're not sure if a player can come back and be good again anyway. So I guess. What about Antonio Bassardo? Should he will he pitch in the postseason <laughs> yeah. for the Phillies? That's what everyone is wondering. Uh, I don't know when when Delman Young and Michael Young go on a tear for the last couple of months and propel the Phillies into the, the postseason. That will that will be an issue too. So if A Rod hits four seventy five, six fifty, eleven hundred. Okay, so he's got an eighteen hundred OPS from this point forward. Mm-hmm. Let's say he manages to produce. Uh, seven and a half warp in that time <laughs> okay. and the and the Yankees miraculously win the division uh during in game 163 and A-Rod hits three home runs in game 163 uh-huh. uh how many first place MVP votes <laughs> uh I would I'd have to say zero 
think zero. I think zero. Someone didn't someone a listener sent us an email asking whether there was any scenario we could imagine whereby Ryan Braun wins another MVP award in the future mm. at some yeah. point. We didn't mm. we didn't discuss that. Uh, I didn't push to discuss that because my answer was was just going to be no. I don't think so. I can't oh. I can't construct that scenario. I don't think. Huh. Um, I mean I don't know. He could. He could he could become someone who goes around donating his salary to orphans and uh, rescuing cats from trees and maybe maybe over time that would that would erase the stigma enough that he would be forgiven but it's hard to imagine. Well, I'll talk to you tomorrow, Ben. Okay, and emails. Tomorrow's, yeah, tomorrow's emails. So please send us some so that we'll have something to talk about at podcast at baseballperspectus.com.